morning. Please join me for the call to worship. It is God, our maker, who sets us free to live, who calls us into a community of freedom and commitment. It is Jesus Christ, our Christ, who has blazed the trail of new life. It is the spirit of peace that binds us as one. Glory be to God the maker, Christ in spirit, in all that we say and do here. Amen.
You may be seated. Welcome to worship here at Southside Baptist Church this morning. We're delighted that you're here. Those who have come from afar, those who have uh, our regular members that are here every week, those who may be guests for the first time, we are so glad that you chose to be here today in worship. Southside Baptist Church is a church in the heart of Five Points South here in Birmingham, building an inclusive community of grace is our mission. And doing that means to express the love, mercy, and grace of God to all that we encounter day in and day out. So today as you came in, whether you're a member or guest, hopefully you felt and experienced the love of God, that which touches our hearts and moves us to listen and to follow wherever and however God may choose to guide us. We would like to have a record of all everyone's attendance, and if you take the uh, registration tablet at the end of each pew, you can uh, write your name in there and also put any other information that you would like to include for us, and we would appreciate it. But also, we want to greet one another, and we want to pass the peace of Christ, as we do often. Uh, before we do that, though, I wanted to make one other comment. You'll notice that we're... Um, without some of our chandeliers and some lights under the balcony. It wasn't a ploy to get those under the balcony to move out, but if you're under there and you can't see, it would be a good time to move forward while we're doing that. But anyway, uh, we have a Demer controller that's uh, not working properly, so um, we will make the best of it today. So look around you. Take time to greet those and to pass the peace of Christ to those that you see nearby. As you make your way back to your place, you can uh, remain seated or have it take a seat. And, and as you do, may we join our hearts in prayer. Oh, Lord, for the opportunity of being in this place to worship you, we give you thanks. We pray, oh, Lord, that you would speak to us as we worship today. We pray that what we bring to you, our whole lives, all that we are, would be received and that you would be able to look upon us and know that we have worshipped you in spirit and in truth. That within our spirits there would be kindled that deep and ever-present desire to know you more completely, more fully, with greater breadth and with deeper understanding so that we might also do what you have called us to do to love others as you have loved us. Bless our time of worship today. In your name I pray.
Our first reading today is Psalm 81. Sing for joy to God our strength. Shout aloud to the God of Jacob. Begin the music, strike the tambourine, play the melodious harp and lyre. Sound the ram's horn at the new moon, and when the moon is full on the day of feast, this is a decree for Israel, an ordinance of the God of Jacob. He established it as a statute for Joseph when he went out against Egypt, where, he, where we heard a language we did not understand. He says, I removed the burden from their shoulders. Their hands were set free from the basket. In your distress, you called, and I rescued you. I answered you out of a thundercloud. I tested you at the waters of Meribah. Hear, O my people, and I will warn you, if you would but listen to me, O Israel, you shall have no foreign god among you. You shall not bow down to an alien god. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt. Open wide your mouth and I will fill it. But my people would not listen to me. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own devices. If my people would but listen to me, if Israel would follow my ways, how quickly would I subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes? Those who hate the Lord would cringe before him and their punishment would last forever, but you would be fed with the finest of wheat, with honey from the rock I would satisfy you. Here ends the reading of our first lesson. second reading is from the Gospel of Mark, the second chapter, verses 8 through 20, 18 through 28. If you're able, will you stand for the reading of the Gospel? Now, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and people came and said to him, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, the wedding guests cannot fast while the bridegroom is with them, can they? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast on that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth in an old cloak, otherwise a patch pulls away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the wine will burst the skins and the wine is lost and so are the skins. But one puts new wine into fresh wineskins. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields and they made their way, as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus said to them, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need of food? 
He entered the house of God when Abiathar was high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And he gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for humankind, not humankind for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. This is the word of the Lord. Maybe seated. I'm going to come over this way so that uh, everyone can see you all. Okay, I'm going to sit over this way, and Jack, you can come this way closer. And I think you got special instructions from your granddad, if best I remember. Didn't I hear that back there when I was talking to him? But today, I want to talk to you about something that we are having problems with here in the church right now. Did you hear what I said about the lights earlier? Well. Do you see something that's not working up there? Look up, look up there. Are all the lights working? You go back under the balcony back there where everyone wants to sit, and you don't see, you know, there's no light back there. Those are not working. Why do you think that is? What happens at home when if the lights go out? What do you do? Go tell your dad, right? Your mom and your dad. Is that what you do as well? You get a flashlight so you can see, but that really doesn't, it's not really not enough light though, is it? No, it can't really do everything you need to do, especially if it goes, if they go out during the night and you're trying to, uh, before you go to bed and you're trying to get ready for bed, it's really hard. So what might be a problem? Sometimes we run to our window to look out and see if our neighbors are out, see if those lights are out. Then we know it's a problem bigger than just us, just our house. Sometimes we go to a, to a, breaker box you might hear your dad say well somebody needs to check the breaker make sure it's not tripped it has to do with the electricity getting to it you see some of our lights are working fine but others are not and think about when we think about God speaking to us or talking to us sometimes we feel like we're not getting words back to us and we need to know that there's some power coming to us and we can do that best when we pray. When we pray, it's a lot like the electricity. It helps us to shine. It helps us to be kind to other people, be kind to your sister and your brother. Is that hard sometimes? What about you? Is it hard to be, it's not hard to be kind in our community. No, I don't think so. Well, I wanted to, show you this. This is a little cross. See this little cross here? It's actually one that came um, from, the, from Israel where Jesus grew up, where he was a little boy, but also from 
wood is from, uh, olive wood. But here's what it says, that Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. You might have heard that, heard us read scripture about it. But here's what he says. He says, Holy Father, protect them in your name that you have given that you have given me so they may be one as we are one. Now, Jesus needed to pray as well. He was praying that his Father in heaven would send the answer he needed to be able to understand all that he was to do. And so this cross is a reminder of that, and this um, other necklace is also a reminder of that, that we have to pray for each other. And when we pray for each other, God gives us the power to be and the ability to be kind and loving and considerate and to say nice things to them, good things to them, to always be mindful that if we listen to God speak to us, he will, and he will give us the power that we need to do those good things. So I'm going to give you each, you can have this one, and you can have this one, Janet. And I want you, you won't have to trade that for your candy later, but let's also pray, okay? Lord, we do pray that you would help us as we listen to you. I pray that you would guide these little ones and help us guide them. I pray, oh Lord, that we could remember the words of Jesus that we are to be one as you and our Lord is one. Help us to be kind and loving and considerate, to be gracious to those around us, that they may see the power of who you are, the love that you are, flow through us. Amen. join me in prayer. God of grace, we come before you not only with our thanks and our praise today, but also to bring our lives and the life of our country and of our world before you. We thank you that to those who are searching, you are a lamp that shines. To a world that is hungry, you are food that sustains. To a people who suffer, you are hope of release. To a world that is broken, you are the one who restores. To a world full of hate, you are the one that forgives. God of wholeness, God of grace, come to our lives and bring your healing. We thank you that you are the living water, the bread of life, the one who offers deliverance. God of grace, we thank you that in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, your only begotten Son, you suffered, died, and rose, bringing hope. 
As we stand at the threshold of a new future, we pray this morning for those called to fresh opportunities of leadership. May they all demonstrate your justice, embody your peace, and fill us with your hope this morning for the future. Living Lord, in whose way of love lies the secret of all of life and the hope of all people, we pray for quiet courage to match this and every hour that lies ahead. Let our common problems challenge us, injustices anger us, possibilities inspire us, and your vigor renew us. Lord, make each of us an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let us sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that we may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love, remembering that it is in giving that we receive and in pardoning that we are pardoned, and in dying we are born to eternal life. In the name of Jesus the Christ, who taught us to pray with confidence, saying, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen.
Early on in my life in Scotland, I learned that Sunday was a long day. It was the Lord's Day. We didn't actually call it Sunday. It began with a good breakfast, however. We always had egg, bacon, sausage, fried bread, some potato scone, even some tomatoes. We had time on a Sunday because service didn't start at 11 a.m., and we didn't have anything at all before it. So we were back for lunch about 12.45, and again, it was a good lunch after a good breakfast, and I was out again at children's Sunday school for 2.15. I had to confess that I occasionally, not every Sunday, but occasionally I split my offering between church and the candy store en route to church. Two sins, I bought something on the Sunday, and I failed to give everything my mum and dad had given me to church. I'm still trying to repent of it. Back for a trip to grandma and grandpa for tea, and then back for the evening service at night, and perhaps back to somebody's home for a sing-song around the piano. It was a long day, without TV and no playing outside with my friends. So when I read that Jesus went on a walk in the Sabbath through the cornfields, and his disciples were hungry, and it was Sabbath, and they harvested some wheat, and they ate it because they were hungry, I wonder if that's the same as going to the sun Sunday school and stopping off at the candy store to buy some candy. Maybe not. These verses about fasting and about Sabbath-keeping were a radical reappraisal of religion in first century Judaism. Something was happening in the coming of Jesus. Something about relating to God, a new way, was emerging. Something that was explosive, and not just the scribes and the Pharisees, but all the people round about were noticing, and they were asking questions. Rules and regulations such as fasting and keeping the Sabbath were no longer going to be, in Jesus' estimation, the test of true spirituality. And the new couldn't be contained within the old. It would be like sewing a, a brand new piece of cloth into an old pair of pants. As it shrank, it would pull away from the hole and make the tear even worse. The old and the new couldn't mix. Put the new wine into old wineskins, to use a different analogy, and the old wineskins will burst. You need the new wine of the gospel of Jesus Christ to go into new wineskins. The old regime of rules and regulations just won't make it. The scribes and the Pharisees, however, were a particular problem for Jesus and his disciples. They were a bit like the kind of secret police. Some were obviously wise and devout and holy men, but others behaved almost like kind of some modern-day journalists in the modern world prying into people's affairs, setting themselves up as self-appointed guardians of public morality and spying on people's lives. Jesus and his disciples were marked men, and they were keeping an eye on him. They were watching, waiting to trip him up. So this was the ideal opportunity, walking through the cornfields on a Sabbath. They perhaps were even walking longer than the Sabbath day journey was allowed, but certainly they were harvesting. That was doing work. I love the way that Jesus actually turns the tables on them. He takes a story from the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, to trip them up and to upset their agenda and to set out his agenda for the kingdom of God. New wine in new wineskins. 
Why is it that we are threatened by change? We all are, to one extent or another, in one way or another. And especially when it comes to religion, perhaps even the religion of which we've been part for a long period of time in our lives. Jesus comes and suggests that the religion of this particular period of time was putting the emphasis on rules and regulations rather than on relationship. Relationship first and foremost with God, but then relationship with other people. They had forgotten about the love of God first, and they had forgotten that even the Sabbath was, was made for humankind, not humankind for the Sabbath. It was made to be a means of blessing. And when it ceased to be a means of blessing, it had lost its purpose. Fasting, prayer, and Sabbath keeping were three of the main categories in Judaism at that time for really showing that you were a truly religious person. The disciples of John the Baptist and the disciples of the Pharisees were good at fasting, and it appears that they were showing off their fasting to some degree or another. But Jesus and his friends didn't seem to fast at all. In fact, they ate, and they ate with sinners and tax collectors. Now, they didn't know that for 40 days Jesus had been fasting. They didn't know that. Fasting has its place, but Jesus says, when the bridegroom is with you, you don't fast. You have a wedding feast. You enjoy yourself. Fasting is good, but it has its purpose in its own place. But it's never, never, never a means of showing to yourself or to others, and certainly not to God, that you are pious and truly religious. Some commentators suggest that in first century Judaism that fasting was sometimes related to fear and uncertainty, uncertainty of God's grace. And so people fasted to impress or sway God in some way. That's if we do this, he'll do this, do that, do this, trying to manipulate God. Jesus is not rejecting fasting, but he is suggesting that nothing we do merits the love of God because we don't need to merit it anyway. His grace is unconditioned. He's already been talking earlier on in this chapter about eating with Levi, along with his pals, tax collectors, a lot of them, and eating in Levi's house. And now he speaks about the new wine of the gospel, the new way of Jesus, a way that's founded on grace and mercy. It all suggests that Christians are not to be weighed down with sadness and uncertainty, allowing the burden of sin or the dread of death to control us. Christianity is not a ball and chain that keeps our spirits from soaring. You may think it is, but it's certainly not meant to be. Our spirits can be downcast for a whole variety of reasons. God has not abandoned us, though. God comes to bring us the new wine of his love and his grace and his mercy in the midst of all our doubts and fears. The way ahead is never without uncertainty. But one thing is certain, God has provided grace, grace, and more grace. And the grace of His Spirit, the wine of His Spirit, to strengthen and to encourage us. So we learn to sing the Lord's song. We learn to sing the Lord's song in a strange land. You see, in Jesus, something fundamental had changed. Into a situation where religion had often gone dry, and arid and barren. 
And people were uncertain of who God was and if God really loved them. Jesus comes with this amazing message of the love and the mercy and the grace of God. And he asked people, let go of the old and enjoy the new. When the new cloth shrinks, the garment that it is patching is torn worse than before. New wine bursts the old wineskins, and everything is lost. Not just the wineskins, but the new wine. Now, these sayings are often misunderstood. Jesus is not saying the old is always bad and the new is always good. But he's saying that the new cannot be contained within the old. The new needs new ways of expressing what true religion is all about, about loving God and thinking about the needs of others. Jesus will get himself into trouble later on in Mark's gospel because he heals a man on the Sabbath. And that, to us, that seems obviously a good thing to do, but not to these religious leaders. It was all about trying to control their own lives and trying to control the lives of others rather than letting people enjoy the love and the grace and the mercy of God. I wonder if we allow our faith to be large enough to look for God, what God is doing now and in the future. I wonder if we sometimes are living in the past ourselves as Christians, we're living in a past generation, because we're not living then, we're living now, we're living in 2016. I remember hearing a story about a missionary society in Great Britain that was having its annual um, annual conference sometime in the latter part of the 20th century, and the, the chairperson who was giving a report of what was happening said, now I want us to move into the 20th century, and somebody said, oh, you mean the 21st century? No, 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 a century at a time will be soon enough, I think. Change, change. Let our faith be big enough to allow God to do things in his own surprising ways. Every institution over time lives in tension with its founding idea, so much so that sometimes the institution itself is more concerned with preservation and protection rather than moving forward under the anointing of God's Spirit. Thomas Jefferson was so attuned to this dynamic that he once said in the 18th century, every generation needs a new revolution. So healthy institutions regularly invest time and resources in stepping back to remember where they came from what the reality of their life's about and what it means for the future. But what about our own individual lives? Do we live in the past? Spiritually, are we trying to move forward, not in the resources of today and tomorrow, but in what lay in the past for us in our Christian relationship with God? And as our Christian relationship with God got bogged down with our own rules and regulations, not the Sabbath day keeping, perhaps. Not fasting. Baptists just don't do fasting, I don't think. We're like, we're like potluck suppers, you know? But we all have our rules and regulations, the things that we like to tick off in our minds to say, well, I think I'm making it okay. I think. I hope. But Jesus is talking about something new here. He's talking about a dynamic relationship that is not filled with uncertainty, it is filled with the dynamic of his love and his grace and the promise of the wine of his spirit to sustain us as we go into 
the future. In my vocation at Samford, I'm a historical theologian, not a hysterical one, although that would be much more fun. I'm a historical theologian, so I like the past. I like the past. But in my journey of theological enterprise, I like the idea of adventure, of an exploration, of discovery, of new ways of thinking about truth, new ways of incorporating that within my life as I look forward to the future. And at the heart of all is a God who himself is open to the future, a God who is not closed, a God who reaches out with love and mercy and grace, the new vision that always bursts the old rigid containers. Captivates my soul too at times as I ponder the great mystery that God loves me and he loves you, he loves all of us, not because of the fact that we're particularly lovable, although you all look very nice and clean on a Sunday morning, I may say. But the, the heart of it is that despite all that we do wrong, God never gives up on us. We don't deserve his grace and we don't tick off things in order to win him or manipulate him. He comes rather to move us towards him in response of faith, love, and obedience. I'm captivated by the the old story of the grace and the goodness of God, I'm captivated that the story of Jesus is really goes way back into the Hebrew Scriptures. It's about loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. I mean, that was the way that originally God had intended, apparently, for Israel, and Jesus just has to remind people of that and remind them that they've got clogged up in their thinking and their acting, and they've forgotten the reality. True religion is not primarily about rules and regulations. There is order, but not chaos. But if you seek to judge your relationship with God by what you do, then when you don't do it, you're going to feel condemned. And always remember that every gift of God and every act of piety is meant to be an opportunity to do good to others. Grace always liberates and sees the gifts of grace which have been given to enable us to live well and to love well to enjoy the goodness of the grace of God and to allow us to go out with the mercy and grace of God within us to share it with other people. Rabbi Herschel reminds us that our goal in life is not to have but to be, not to own but to give, not to control but to share, not to subdue but to live in one accord. And Christians should be distinguished, it seems to me anyway, not by our rules and regulations, but by doing good so that today in 2016, they may say of the church as they did in the first century, see how these Christians love one another. Will you pray with me? God of grace and God of mercy, God of new life, God of new wine, Pour your love afresh into our hearts this morning, that we may love what thou dost love and do what thou wouldst do. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Our hymn of response this morning is number 658. Dr. Kelly will be at the front, should you wish to use this hymn as a
a means of responding in some way to what God is saying and doing in your life at this time. 658. morning. Thank you for that wonderful message of hope, love, and faithfulness, Dr. Ken. Please pray with me today. Lord, we, thankful, we thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that we can always trust in you. You are an abundant God, and out of your great mercy, you have given us so much. We give you this offering today. With it, we worship you and give our whole selves to you. Please, take it now and use it for your kingdom and your glory. Extend and multiply its reach and influence, we pray. May it be a great blessing to many. We ask all this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ.
loving Lord, we bring these tithes and offerings into your house. We pray, O oh Lord, that we be used wisely, that you would multiply them, that we would use them in furtherance of your kingdom here on earth. In your name I pray. Amen. Could be seated for just a moment, please. Several announcements we need to make, and one particularly about this evening, uh, tonight at 6 o'clock in Vernon Hall, we have the um, Jazz Vespers that, uh, again, and is Cheryl here? Is she? Oh, there you are. You've moved down, out of the, out of the shadows and into the light. Great. <laughs> Did you want to say a word about it? Yes, uh, I simply also wanted to add, uh, Monique, would you raise your hand there? Monique Gannon will be our featured uh, vocalist this evening for Jazz Vespers. And this week, this time it is down in Drennan Hall. Uh, so if you find yourself confused as to where it is, Drennan Hall is the Fellowship Hall, uh, those who don't know it by that name, but it's down on the first floor. Go there, it'll be sort of a little club atmosphere as it were. There will be food, uh, thanks to Brenda and, and others. Uh, uh, so, so do come and be with us. I also like to uh, make mention, you will see listed uh, this coming week, we have uh, members of the cast of Amal and the Night Visitors, the uh, opera at UAB. Uh, I've been honored to be asked to conduct that, uh, uh, perform those performances. Uh, and I'd just like to, to, would those who are involved in that pr production of our myths raise your hand? Yeah, there we go. See, so, uh, so we, have a, we have a little investment in that. So look in your newspaper or wherever uh, and uh, see Thursday and Friday night performances at the Sorodi Theater um, at the Alice Stevens Camp. Thanks for letting me say that as well. And of course, this, this weekend, uh, a holiday weekend of sorts, but it's, uh, it is a day that we remember and honor our veterans. And we have not mentioned that earlier today, but we want to say a word of thanks to all of those who have, have served. And I'd like you to stand, if you would, so, so that we can see those who have served in some capacity in military service. And then uh, the other activities you'll see for the remainder of the week, including the uh, Wednesday evening, and then on uh, Thursday we have both the men's Bible study and also the contemplative service. So we'd invite you to be a part of those as well. I found out this morning that I have to, I don't have to, I have the privilege of doing the staff appreciation cards. So I thought, okay, how am I gonna do this? Which one am I gonna pick on first? Um, I'm gonna pick on Ken first because he's the new guy on the block. <laughs> I have known him less time than I have known the others, but we do appreciate him and all the effort he puts forth with the Sunday homily and with the Wednesday Bible study. All right, now, these others, I have been attending here since 1951 when my family moved to Birmingham. So I have known ins and outs of all these people but I'm not gonna tell you this morning. You're gonna have to ask me privately. Uh, Sarah, you have brought me to do an appreciation of music 
that I got freaked out when I was at Stanford and I had Ted Tibbs as music appreciation. Uh-uh, forget it. No way. But I have learned to appreciate it more with Sarah at the organ, always being the constant in the service. next. Uh, knowing your ins and outs here. Appreciated him. Yeah, and if I can just get you to bring your family back to sing, you know, I know they are tied up otherwise, but I can remember when you first started here, the your wife and two girls were singing in the choir. We got to work on him to get them to come back and do that. <laughs> Tim Kelly, my first memory of Tim Kelly, and uh, I've told him this, and I don't think he remembers, he and Don and the kids were introduced on a Wednesday night. Nathan was still a baby, and I can remember Anna and her little frilly dress on that Wednesday night. Now, why that made an impression on me, I don't know. I... <laughs> I have known Tim uh, in his ins and outs with being here, not being here. Uh, he actually, he and his brother Fred, when they had their landscaping service, actually cut my grass at home. So, like I say, I have known him, I appreciate him, love him to death. And as we have our benediction, as we go from this place, know that you go not in your own, you go with the love and the grace and the mercy of God's presence with you now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.